Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Coaches on the Couch. I'm Louise. And I'm Rachel. And our guest this morning is Emily Slupek, Director of Science and Innovation at Borough 4. So hello, Emily, welcome. Hi, thanks. Hi, Emily. Hi. So before we get into anything else, let's chat couches. And Emily, can you tell us something interesting about your couch? Yeah, well, I had a little thing about this because my couch is pretty new, so I don't have a lot of history to draw upon. But actually, if you take the top cushions away from my couch, you'll find that my bulldog as a puppy used to like to pull all the cushions off the couch. So there's actually lots of little, I don't quite know how he did it because he'd always do it while we weren't looking, but he's made lots of little holes in the back of the couch behind the cushions. Bulldog eaten. Yeah, puppy life. Yeah. Yeah. Naughty. Okay, quick introduction to Bureau 4. It's an independent project management company with offices in London, Manchester, Bournemouth, Leeds, Cambridge, and most recently Oxford, which we're going to come back to. An incredible projects list. We're going to just name a few. New Museum of London, two of the buildings within the Begbrook Master Plan for Oxford University and Legal in General, Millennium Bridge House for Beltane Asset Management, Weaver's Yard, Newbury for Granger, City Labs 2 and 3 in Manchester for Brentwood, Science Tech, and the UK's largest single engineering campus for University of Manchester. That's that's quite an impressive that list. Is. You did miss out, Rachel, that you used to work for Bureau Force. So I, yeah. I think we should say that. <laughs> uh, Emily, you lead the company's activity in science and innovation, um, and you work with developers, funders and tenants to deliver major science developments nationwide. And you were also recently appointed onto the NLA's expert panel for innovation districts. There's a load to talk about today, so we'll hopefully cover a few topics. We'd like to start though, Emily, just with talking a little bit about your role. You've carved out quite a clear niche for yourself there, and it's a relatively new area for Bureau 4. We just wondered whether you could share a little bit about how you went about achieving that. Yeah, um, I think in terms of how I got there, the the, um, Bureau 4 has actually been doing science projects for a while. So um, the sort of new aspect of it is the fact that we've carved it out as a sector in its own right, which obviously carved out a role for myself. And that sector has specific targets. So I, I wouldn't say I specifically went about, you know, precisely getting to be the lead of the science sector of Bureau 4, because that might not have been achievable six years ago when I joined the company. We didn't know that it was going to become a sector. So I think, you know, part of it, as it always is, is, is kind of landing in a, in a particular situation. But uh, I've, I've always been open, I suppose, and, and, and looking for the next challenge and um, what the next possibilities might be. So I was lucky enough to work on the ABCAM headquarters in Cambridge, Right. which I suppose was a grounding in the science sector. And, um, you know, throughout my time with, with Bureau 4 have been, we do development conversations sort of on a um, twice yearly basis. So there's a good opportunity to really push for what your ambitions are and to really sit and think about it with, with people that can actually help you to, um, to get there. So I suppose for me, work winning and having a, a focus were things that I was really really interested in and this opportunity kind of came about at the same time as as having conversations about um, getting me into into that role and with the experience and the 
growth in the sector. It just all kind of came together and um, you know, Bureau 4 have been really supportive of, of career development. And I suppose it's a it's a small enough company that everyone knows everyone. So you get a really good understanding of what people's strengths are and um, you know how 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 they can feed into the company in the best possible way. And I mean I was going to come on to it, but, but more recently we, we've actually um, focused on that and we've been um, doing the Clifton strengths so that everyone's actually got no, really yeah so they, they've got a better understanding of themselves as well because I think that's um, that's something you know did the did the strength the work that you've done around strengths did that relate to how you've or how you've sort of made sure that this niche works for you so that you gain that reputation within the company yeah do you know what? I think that it's been quite recent but I think that the the biggest thing for me was actually instilling a bit of confidence in certain areas. So my my top strength um, was communication. And I, I think that gave a little bit of, of confidence, actually, in terms of doing things like we're doing today, in terms of speaking at conferences and uh, and roundtables and, and things. It, it can be quite daunting and it's quite sort of nerve-wracking on the run-up to it. And I think in, in some ways just having that rubber stamp that, no, you're... It is a strength. You've got this. You're good at this. You can yeah. I'm just curious about your, you know, you've been at Bureau 4 for six years and in a in a um at a time when everywhere that we go, we're hearing how difficult it is to retain people. Um that, those twice yearly developmental conversations must have made a difference. But I'm interested in two things. The first is your route to Bureau 4. Uh, do you have a science background or education? Not at all. And also no whether you think that those development chats that you've been able to have there have meant that you felt that you can pursue your, your career aspirations within Bureau 4 as opposed to having to go outside it somewhere. Yeah, I did languages and linguistics at university. So subsequently, I did realise that I might need to do something a bit more vocational to get, to get my in. So um, I did do a postgraduate diploma in surveying, which you need to do the RICS, and then I went through the RICS process. But I did that post university and I did that um, whilst working. So I guess I made my choice at, at, at that point that I wanted to get into property. I didn't exactly know my route. You know, again, I didn't set about landing here, I guess. Um, but I, I started as a as a building inspector actually for the for the LHBC <laughs> and um, trained off in that. And then that got me uh, into the construction side and and I wanted to carry that that knowledge through. So um, the reality in Bureau 4 is that they have been very supportive of my career and my career development. And um, I do thrive on challenges and I think that they know that. And so, you know, th- through um, my time here, I've gone through um, team leader role, um, which I'm just about to hand over in order to focus more on the uh, on the science sector role. Um, and obviously I'm a a fair way into the into the science sector role, and um, and the next challenge, which as you, as you said, we'd we'd go on to is um, is opening our Oxford office, which obviously Bureau Four have totally supported me in as well. So I think you know you, I've got a good thing going here. So why why would I look elsewhere if I'm uh, my my career is progressing with them? They are supportive. I think there's something in knowing each other as well. You know, I know. Bureau 4 very well now. I know how to, um, I know what they will 
what we what we do, what we don't do, what projects we've done, the history, the people, who to go to, who to talk to. Um, and equally, they know me and they know what, what I can do, what I'm capable of. And, um, mm. you know, if that's all going well, I don't see why uh, why you would go elsewhere and have to start it all again, I guess. And I think you've put that very well, because I think that one of the things that perhaps is happening is that people are jumping ship before they've fully explored the potential of where they already are. And actually they don't, you know, they, they jump ship, they go somewhere else and, and then they have to, to get to know all the things that, as you say, you know, um, from having built up those years of experience there. Um, and it's probably much harder than they think it's going to be. So I think you're a very good advertisement as well as Bureau 4 for being able to um, build a career within a company that recognises that that's what you want to do and doesn't yeah. kind of pigeonhole you into one, yeah. one role. Yeah. Absolutely. And in a company that, you know, you, you might um, expect that of a, of a huge corporate company but to be able to do that in a in a company that's under 100 people you get it's almost the, the best of both worlds really because you've got the friendliness and the um the relationship and the sort of family feel but you you've also it's big enough and it's open enough um to growth and to, to new experiences that you have you do have the opportunity to be able to grow yourself within yeah. the company too okay um, Oh I'm just thinking about linguistics I'm wondering whether your study of linguistics gives you gives you a, an edge in terms of influencing and listening and understanding how people work is that a bit of a stretch what do you think I suppose I've never really thought about it before but um there are some aspects that that absolutely wouldn't because they were a bit more technical but there certainly was a socio-linguistic element and uh, you know how people present themselves and how deliberate things are and um yeah I guess actually the, there might be a little little element of that that comes into the the reading of, of people sort of understanding people's reactions and what's a good sign and what's a bad sign fundamentally I think to be honest it comes from just being a human and, and, and interacting with people and the experience of that and you know how, how people react back to you but Hmm. There might be a little bit of that in there. There might be a little bit. It's, it's about being alert to, isn't it? Rachel and I always talk quite a lot about listening and listening to, well, we always talk a lot about listening and listening to what's not being said and how things are said and what you can learn about people um, through through carefully listening to them, what you can learn about that, what their values might be, what their beliefs may be, where they may come from and all that kind of stuff. It's all kind of the below the surface stuff. So mm. that's yeah. interesting. So important, isn't it, though, to get that, to 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 appreciate um, everything that's going on and so to actually like you say it's listening isn't it it's listening to something that isn't necessarily said but it's mm. having that interest and that that desire to understand individual people and mm. you know what makes them tick <laughs> what makes them who they are mm. uh, which probably underlies it sounds like you're pretty good at it to me I hope so, but who knows? <laughs> My colleagues might say different. <laughs> How much of it, Emily, is push? You know, you deciding that you want to push on in your career and how much of it is pull and somebody saying, you know, you've got to um, create something for yourself so that you move into it. What's, what's that balance? I think there's always got to be push because if you don't, push for yourself you know no one else is going to be taking your career as seriously as you are you know obviously um so I think there's always got to be there's always got to be a push and, and I think um 
you know, from looking at it from a manager perspective as well, you you want to see the drive and the ambition in people to do things. You're not necessarily going to going to be handed things on a plate, but you know, hopefully, there's an element of proving a, a capability and a and a talent, an element of drive and ambition, and then there has to be the openness um, and the desire by the company to bring you up um, with them. Um, so I, I think you know it's got to be a bit of got to be a bit of both. But in all honesty, I think it starts with push. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, it was exactly that. Rachel, I wrote down exactly the same question because I was thinking about the pool bit. That that also means being tuned in to opportunities that exist externally, doesn't it? I mean, as a new business, any kind of business development role does, it means that you've got to do a lot of quite careful listening. Now, I suppose that's where the pool comes in, that you you need to be able to um, to listen and observe and, and, and sift through a lot of information and identify opportunities that you feel that you can bring in to the company as well yeah and undoubtedly it, it happens with um with the opportunity uh, with the science sector and with the oxford office that, and i suppose it's kind of obvious because things all happen for a reason and we, we happen to kind of come together in our thinking um, on both fronts so i think i went to um our board directors here with the oxford office idea uh, and they actually said oh my goodness you're about 24 hours earlier than we were going to have this conversation (laughs) yeah just uh, funnily enough and I suppose there must have been some some conversations that that weren't explicit but that that maybe have sort of led led both of our thinking on it to get us to that place but yeah it's just 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 amazing that I had that conversation and I think they said they'd had a, a board meeting just either that morning or the day before when they were uh, they were talking about it as a as a real that's, opportunity. That's interesting on the push and pull thing, isn't it? Because you need a sort of entrepreneurial mindset within the organisation as well yeah. as within its people. Otherwise, there's a clash, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And, and Emily, when you went to them to have that conversation, how carefully did you prepare for that conversation? Timing-wise, I think the timing happened to itself because it the reason that that came into my mind anyway was because of the timing in in uh, I suppose my career what was happening with the science sector and uh, the projects that we had in Oxford and it became quite a I suppose the reason that we were both thinking it at the same time is because it became quite a almost an obvious growth for the for growth area for the company preparation wise I tend to be quite decisive. So I plan quite a lot in my mind. So undoubtedly, I would have thought this over and thought this over and thought this over. But when the decision comes, the decision comes. Um, so there was a relatively short period of time, actually, between deciding, yes, that's, that's, that's the next step for me. That's what I want to do. And then having the conversation. So there probably wasn't a lot of time to prepare. And I guess that that is actually in Bureau Four's favour, because if I was frightened of them or I thought they were going to push against it or I thought they weren't going to be open to it, then I'd have probably needed to really, really think about how I how I went about it. But I probably went into the conversation with a knowledge that they were going to listen and they were going to be open to it and we were going to talk further about it and it wasn't just going to be dismissed in that in that one meeting. So, yeah, a lot of planning in my mind, but probably not a lot of prep for how it came out. Mm. And what's that going to entail from a leadership point of view, Emily? You know, what, what's involved in opening 
a new office? Well, it's quite exciting for me from a leadership perspective, because I, I guess it's an opportunity to, for me to show a little bit more um, that the office will be um, led by me, overseen by me. Um, so it, the part of the process so far has been writing the business case. I've always had a bit of support um, on that and kind of presenting that to the board um, and sort of going forwards how we... Uh, how it progresses, how we launch it, what the targets are, um, the recruitment. And so I guess I'll have a part in all of this, which is which is thrilling because I get to I get to kind of set up the uh, the the ethos of the of this little entity of, of Bureau Four. Um it's it's gonna obviously run like a Bureau Four company. I mean I'm totally <laughs> as you can probably tell I'm totally Bureau Four. So um, it's still going to be it's still going to be very much a Bureau Four company and, and and run in the same way. But for me personally, I suppose I get to put my stamp on on exactly that the leadership side and the management of uh, of people setting of targets. And I suppose I'm quite driven by by meeting targets. It's quite a motivation of mine. So um, I'm I'm quite excited actually and embarking on on that and really. I've set out the plan now and I'm kind of determined that I must now, <laughs> must now meet every target that's on there. Yeah, I'm feeling the energy as well. <laughs> <laughs> these are really complex projects, aren't they, as well, these big science projects. And, and um, I guess that getting your head around that complexity is a big part of the challenge for you. How do you, how do you approach that task? Well, I suppose... Lots of the projects that we manage, whether they're science or otherwise, I suppose for the purpose of having a, a project manager is to break through that complexity. So it, science projects are certainly not unique in that. I, I suppose it's as with every sector, it's always um, advantageous to have an understanding of the peculiarities of that of that sector and what it entails. So, I mean, when I first embarked on the... the um, role of uh, championing the science sector uh, really set about getting a thorough understanding of more than just the technical aspects but also the the drivers you know where the market was going what the tenants wanted where these nuances were and how we can understand them and I think the science sector is slightly unique in um, when it comes to speculative builds which we do an awful lot of because the activities that can be undertaken in these buildings is is varied and wide-ranging and and the requirements are therefore equally as varied and wide-ranging we have to we have to balance getting the i suppose getting the range of the market but whilst not breaking the bank in the process and i suppose the way way i always, always think of it is um there's obviously a bell curve and we just want to try and get say the 80% of the middle of the bell curve, and then we should have a, a significant portion of the market interested in it. But if you try and accommodate everything for everyone, then you're going to end up having overcompensated and over-designed it. And obviously there's a cost to that. And, and there's a you have to take into account the commercial aspect. You have to take into account. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's getting your head around ev- everything that's more than just the nuts and bolts of the building that you're going to build it's why does that building exist who's going to use it what what's going to be done there and the context of the surrounding area as well um, needs to be taken into account what is there what does this building need to achieve so I suppose that's that's the that's the first part <laughs> and then the next is just 
purely implementing that, but then that's our that's our bread and butter, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's uh, I think what you're doing worked out. I've been doing this for nearly twenty years now, which is quite quite a long time to be doing it. So I suppose you get kind of used to going through the process and what the pitfalls might be, and you know, there's nothing like experience to to help you on your way to you know getting a project on track and setting everything up in the right way. Mm. Ultimately, that's I'm thinking. Emily, some of the complexity, and you sort of alluded to it there, but I think you've underplayed it a little bit because I know it's complex. You've got some joint venture clients within your project portfolio, and obviously these schemes are massive with huge stakeholder groups. I'm just wondering how you manage those sort of different conflicting interests. Uh, It comes down to communication at, at the end of the day, doesn't it? You've got to be talking to people and talking to each other and keep a constant dialogue going in, in those situations. And I think as well, carving out the specific roles um, of the individual you know, client, client teams, because where there's more than one person um, to liaise with, it doesn't mean that everyone else is not interested in what the other parties are doing. So I suppose it's, it, it's, it's knowing who the decision maker fundamentally is for what role um, and then it's about communicating that to everyone so that nobody's in the dark and everyone has the opportunity to um, to speak up and the challenge with that of course is is time I guess and it's just it's making sure that that that's built into the the strategy of the project that you have the right meetings with the right people you don't overdo it and waste people's time and you don't underplay it and not give enough information it's going to sound like a bit of an odd question but this it all sounds incredibly um labor intensive do you work very long hours i want to put people off coming into the profession (laughs) no we might delete this bit but it sounds like the kind of job that you might end up doing much longer days than the days that you're technically supposed to be doing i think there's a passion with anyone who has responsibility and cares about the job that they do so um is it unique to project management probably not but you know if the project requires something we have peaks we have peaks and troughs um because of the peaks and troughs in the project and if if a project requires something um you have you have to do it for, for the for the good of the project really and um, I suppose you just have to hope that your peaks don't come on all projects at the same time because that's when you get into trouble. Because yeah. um, we we work we work a lot, you know, we work almost exclusively with consultancy organisations, and of course, in a consultancy organisation, and particularly in the kind of role that you do, there is there is a client, but there's also the project, which is almost like a client in itself, isn't it? The project becomes the client. And one of the issues that we quite often come across is how people find it difficult to prioritise the needs of that client, the project, and those clients around it, and being a manager and being a leader, uh, and that and having a life. And I'm just wondering how that works for you that 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 balance between having to find time to to lead and time time to work on projects and time to have a good lifestyle Mm. well luckily I very much enjoy my job so that sort of feeds into the lifestyle bit but I do have two kids I'm just gonna you know clarify it can't be uh, it can't be that disastrous on the time front because I do manage to to be a parent my my husband works uh you know a, a 
demanding job as well. So um, I think companies are, are pretty good these days at, uh, at supporting staff yeah. in that. Um, and, you know, I have a, a responsibility myself to, to get the projects done, but the flexibility to do that in the time that, that works for me. So, um, yeah, I think it, it it is a challenge. Of course, it's a, a challenge, but I suppose that's that's exactly the balance, isn't it? And, and you have to be able to get under the skin of all the problems that are, that are going on and, and be able to see the bigger picture and, and prioritise them. And we're none of us on our own. So... You know, we work we work in teams of people so if there is ever a bit of a an overlap between projects it's it's rare that we would have the same project teams across a number of projects all at the same time because then they're all affected by the same peaks so you know we're just quite supportive of each other in in our teams and understanding that if there's things going on in people's personal lives and in people's other projects that you know that's when that's when we step up to to take a bit of weight off of people and um you know, I suppose that's the benefit of, of working in project teams is that you've got that nice support network but yeah it can get can get busy yeah. <laughs> uh, Emily we've talked a lot about both leadership and management almost interchangeably as we've gone along I just wonder when we're talking to a sort of professional leader as it were whether you could tell us a bit about the difference how you see the difference between leader and management leadership mm. and management yeah, I think leadership is almost um, an innate quality. I don't, I don't know. We've had this discussion. You can obviously draw leadership out of people. I think really it's an understanding of the wider impact that the things that you say and do have on other people, and not necessarily just results driven. And I think it's it's having. Um, so I think it's about having a, a, a wider understanding of the people around you and how what you say and you do and the way you go about it impacts other people. So, you know, that's not just necessarily internally, um, but in the wider teams, there are things that it's, there's an EQ, I suppose, that, that's attached to it. And it's using that in the right way and yeah. understanding what motivates people and um, how they get their enjoyment out of their role and actually wanting them to get that enjoyment out of their role and wanting to support people. Um, I think there's also a lot, I think there's a lot that's kind of external about leadership actually, and it's more about other people than it is about yourself. And um, it's much more about trying to get the success of obviously the, the wider picture of what you're trying to achieve is important, but that's probably where it's more management than it is anything else. And the achievement of, um, delivering a project you can do that with management but coming out of the end of that process with people that have developed their own experience developed their sense of self really enjoyed the process um, developed a passion for the project and um, you know sense of collaboration and I think that's probably the differentiator with leadership is that it expands it from just delivering a thing to the wider feeling that's around the aura around it yeah, I like that the aura yeah no I think that was a very good description of of um of one of the key differences so I mean Emily we're coming towards the end of our time and there's something there's a thread through everything that you're saying which is kind of around influencing you know how you influence people to 
take up your ideas when you're making a case for things like the science sector or Oxford, but also when you're working on the incredibly complex and leading the incredibly complex projects that you lead, how you influence those people. I just wonder if you could say a little bit about your influencing style or how you influence. Yeah, um, I, I worry that the word influence could could uh, could feel a little bit like manipulation, but influencing in a good way. Um, I think probably um, uh, certainly not authoritarian at all. I like to get people's buy-in. Always, always have. Um, hope, hopefully, it's kind of appreciated that. Um, I wouldn't just bulldoze in presuming that my idea was the best idea and the right idea would always be open to suggestion. And I think I've always been quite, well, I say always, maybe I haven't always been careful because I may have been a little arrogant in, in the past, which is possibly why I'm now careful. Um, but careful, I'm now very careful not to come in and presume that everything that I'm saying is exactly right. Um, so hopefully a little bit of humility in there. Um, friendship and developing relationships with people. I mean, just I love people, and you know that that's probably that's my favourite part of the job is is um, you know becoming part of a, a team and working through something together, and you build up some really lovely relationships there. So I, you know that really does does amount to a lot. And then I guess you you have to prove yourself capable because people aren't going to listen to you if you don't come across as mm. a capable person. So you know. You, you have to have I'm quite quite genuine and I've never liked um you know glory for glory's sake if you like I I, I would always want the respect of actually being good at something so I think fundamentally it has to come down to that but that alone isn't going to bring others along on your journey so I think people have to um enjoy working with you and part of that is obviously being a team player, um, appreciating other people's strengths and, and, and that everyone is adding to the team and building kind of mutual sense of, of success for everyone and what that, what that looks like and that being the same for everyone across the team. So a clear sense of success, just summarise a few of those, being genuine, building um, strong relationships, friendships, you used the word friendships, which was nice, Above all, proving yourself to be capable and demonstrating that you're capable. And I liked, I thought humility was good, you know, and getting that balance right between being pretty sure of yourself and your experience and your knowledge, but still open and prepared to listen to other people's points of view. Mm. Yeah, I think that's kind of fundamental. Yeah. I think we agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> got the coaches on the couch seal of approval <laughs> and I think that's bringing us to the end of the conversation we've really enjoyed talking with you Emily it's, it's really interesting we've covered some ground I think so thank you to you and thanks to our listeners once again yes thank you yeah, thanks so much for having me it's been great thank you and good luck in Oxford I hope it yes. all goes really well yeah. thanks so much okay thanks yeah bye bye